Well, praise the Lord, Palmer Pentecostal Church. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't know if this is a sign or not, but I'm going to claim that in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Lord bless you. Be seated. It is truly an honor to be here at the best thing in this entire area. Everybody in this city needs to know about Palmer Pentecostal Church. And guess what? It's up to you to let them know. You are the light of the world, but more specifically, you're the light of this community. And a light that is set on a hill. Praise God. Praise God. And if I was a sinner in this city, I would want somebody to tell me about this lighthouse. I would want somebody to let me know that there's a place that I can go, that God can put everything back together. Come on. Amen. You know, some of us that have been around church a long time, we kind of just get to taking things for granted. And uh, we forget what it used to be like. I was born and raised in church, but I had some wayward years. But, you know, we kind of forget what it's like. But, oh, boy, if people could just see and know and understand the hope that there is in Calvary, the, the peace that is propagated in this building right here alone. And I don't ever want to get to the place where I forget what this is all about. This is all about Calvary. It's all about telling people of Jesus. Amen. And I believe this specifically that if God filled you with the Holy Ghost, then He's got a work for you to do. The Holy Ghost is a missionary spirit. And if He filled you with it, He's got something for you to do. Amen. And we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's your world. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to Egypt or Africa or the Philippines. But you have to go to your world and tell people about Jesus. Amen. I appreciate this lighthouse and I want to thank this church for being such a beacon of hope in this community. Amen. And uh, I was in your pastor's office earlier and... Uh, I looked on the wall and it said, 35 years of ministry milestone. You know, the average pastor leaves in America, the average pastor leaves every four years and goes to another church. Thank God for steadfastness. Thank God for faithfulness. Amen. Thank God for Sister Herring. Hey, thank God for a good pastor's wife that every Monday when we're ready to resign, our wives say, no, it's going to be all right. Amen, Sister Herring, we love you and appreciate you, but uh, church, you're blessed 
to have such a wonderful man of God that fills this pulpit every week and uh, one of the best preachers that I know. Amen. And I sure hope he's your favorite preacher. Listen, I don't know who the best preachers in the Pentecostal movement are, but this ought to be your favorite preacher right here. Amen. Amen. And I know him quite well, and uh, I want you to know that he seeks the face of God, and he pours himself into the work of the ministry, and he has diligently given himself to the health, the spiritual health of this congregation. And you are blessed because you have a man of God in this pulpit. Amen. I want to preach something to you today. I texted your pastor earlier. I said, I'm going to preach about two and a half hours today. But that started whenever I sent that text. That's about two and a half hours ago, I think. So, uh, But I want to preach to you something that the Lord's been stirring my spirit with. And uh, I tried to get away from it and preach something, you know, really good today. And uh, I just kept getting pulled back to this. And so I've done this long enough to know that God wants to do something. I have no idea what's going on in this congregation, but God does. And uh, I'm, I'm just a mailman. I'm just the one to deliver what thus saith the word of the Lord. I want to read today from Psalm 51 and also Psalm 139, and uh, I have learned in the last several years to really appreciate and understand how David wrote some of these passages. And uh, verse number 23 of Psalm 139, it says, Search me, O God. And know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. As we draw closer to the coming of the Lord, this ought to become more prevalent in our spirit. Your pastor and I were talking earlier about the weather on Sunday mornings, and and. How the enemy doesn't want us to be in church. And, and, and you know, I, I do believe that there's something to the fact that he's the prince over the power of the air. And, and uh, Brother Cole told me a long time ago, he said, watch the weather on Sunday morning. The devil doesn't want you to have revival. And uh, he also doesn't want anybody in this room to go to heaven. And he also knows what time it is, and he also knows that the coming of the Lord is upon us, and he also knows that if he can get the church sideways, then he accomplishes two things. Number one, he removes the light of this community. He removes the effectiveness of this church, and he puts your soul in danger. As we draw closer to the coming of the Lord, I'm sure you've read the news, and I don't need to get up here and talk about what time it is, but it's the end time. The Lord is getting ready to come back and rapture this church out of here. 
And as we grow closer to the coming of the Lord, we have got to make sure that all is well in our spirit. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Is it okay if I just preach to myself this morning and everybody listen in? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You realize this was before the Holy Spirit was poured out. Restore unto me the joy of thy, somebody say thy, not my, thy salvation. And uphold me with a free spirit. I want to preach to you today the responsibility of a right spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that your word do what only your word can do. Help my mind to be open, God, to say and to preach and to deliver exactly what you have put into my spirit this morning. Let the church be anointed to receive the word of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus, give him praise right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Lord bless you. Please be seated. There's something about this writing that has gripped me and has, um, it's just really made me do some inward looking the last several years. I can't get away from the writing of David. I've analyzed it. I've preached from it. I've studied about it. But there's something about this writing that it seems like has a little bit more emotion in this particular area than some of his other writings. Now, you are a church of the Word. You've got one of the greatest Word preachers among you. So I, I won't go into maybe some of the details that I would. I know that he brings out these stories and the contextual understanding of these stories, but there's something about this passage that really just locks me in that I want to talk to you about this morning. I don't know what it is about this particular writing, and I, I don't know if it's maybe because of what happened with David and Bathsheba that he writes this. Maybe it's something about feeling guilty, about not being out on the battlefield, maybe, uh, you know, David is reminiscing about what he did to Uriah the Hittite, and, uh, you know, there's three significant life-changing factors that are built into that particular story. Bathsheba, him being derelict in his duty as the king, and then also him being a man of murder. Those are pretty significant, Right? And so he writes here with a lot of emotion. I also believe that David has a very keen understanding of the fall of Saul. Now, I know it's Sunday morning. I don't have time to get into all of the historical background. But let me just say that David watched from the front row the fall of of Saul. First Samuel is a life enlightening story. 
2 Samuel chapter 1. It's a, it's, a, it's a story of the young messenger coming to tell King David about Saul being killed. And also Jonathan. And you can read in there, and it's several verses long, but you can read in there all 27 verses where David, it begins to settle in on him. And the emotion of the news begins to grip his spirit. When the young messenger said what had happened, and then David actually calls for the execution of the messenger because it grips him so grievously. He says at the end of that chapter, How the mighty have fallen in battle. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And so David understood very keenly the fall of Saul. Now, here's something that we overlook a lot when we analyze David and we analyze Saul. David lived in Saul's palace for approximately seven years. He, he was just a boy when it all began to happen, but what an impression on the young boy David to live in the king, his house. Uh, you know, his best friend on the planet. How many have a best friend? His best friend on the planet was Jonathan, the son of the king. On top of that, David's first love, who he marries, is also the daughter of the king. So he had a passion for the king. That was his king. That was his hero. That was his man of God. That was his father-in-law. That was his best friend's father. He was an anointed man, the king. We forget the relationship that these two men have. And so when the young man comes, the messenger, and he says, now, God forbid, but can you imagine somebody coming to tell you the news that your man of God has been killed? That's not going to happen, but I'm trying to get you to understand the emotion of what happens here in the heart of David, and, and um, you know, I, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I mentioned this just the other day. I remember men of God that would come through, and back in then, those days, they didn't stay in a hotel. They all stayed in my room. I had no idea of the men that I played baseball with in the backyard of my house. I had no idea of some of those spiritual giants that I was allowed to rub shoulders with, and, and every once in a while, I would hear news of a spiritual giant of mine that had fallen. I'll just go ahead and be honest and transparent. Some of those stories and some of those uh, realities of a spiritual giant impacted my life so greatly and I mourned. And sometimes I still mourn for some of those. Men that have walked away from truth and have had a moral failure or whatever was the case. It, it, it impacted me and it still does to a, a, a degree that it's hard to explain. And, 
and, and oh, how the mighty have fallen. And when I read that passage, it alerts me. January 7th in 2017, there was a mighty sequoia tree that fell in California State Park. It was an iconic tree. It had stood for over a thousand years. It was named the Pioneer Cabin Tree. Thousands of visitors had visited that tree and tens of thousands of pictures had been taken by that mighty sequoia. Pictures dating back to 1899 show the tree being a shelter. It was a place of safety. It was a shelter and a place of safety for so many travelers, so many pioneers over the years. And it, it stood hundreds of feet tall and many, many storms it had weathered. When it fell, the scientists that explored it said the tree was barely alive. It still stood tall. It still looked mighty. But it was a simple little rainstorm that took the tree down. It's 120 years ago when somebody had bore a tunnel through that tree. And in that process, a decay had started. 120 years ago, it was tunneled out for shelter and for safety, but what happened was a process of decay started. The tree never recovered from. The tree still stood tall. The tree still weathered storms, but after a while the tree fell. An iconic tree that thousands of people had visited was brought down by a simple rainstorm because a process of decay had started on the inside. I want to say when David writes, oh, how the mighty have fallen, he writes it from a place of first person. What is it that causes the mighty to fall? What is it that brings the emotions of David. I don't know, but he writes it this way. Created me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Could it be that David saw firsthand the decay of a giant named Saul and he determined in his spirit, this cannot and this will not happen to me. David writes, create in me, create that word there in the original is the word called bara in the Hebrew. It's the same word that is in Genesis 1 and 1 when God says, and in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Create means a divine work of God. Okay, it is a work that only God can do. It's not man altered, it's a creative work. How many in this room know that when you repented and when you were baptized and when you received the gift of the Holy Ghost, that was a creative work of God. 
The church has a responsibility to preach the gospel, provide baptisms, provide altars, provide all this stuff. But how many know that it's not the church that washes away your sin? It's a creative work of the Holy Ghost. Come on now, let us reason together, Isaiah, said the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Hey, if you're in here today and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to get your sins washed away. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he moved, removed our transgressions. It's a creative work. Colossians 1 and 14. In whom we have redemption. How? Through his blood. So create in me a clean heart is something only God can do. Okay? But it's the next part I want to preach about. I'm sorry that was such a long introduction. It's the next part that I want to preach about. The rest of the verse, renewing me a right spirit, it's from the Hebrew word kadash, which means to repair or to rebuild or to renew one's self. Renew is a self dependent action that only we can do. God cannot nor God will not do this part of this verse because it's something that only we can do for ourselves. This verse talks about the creative work of God and then the continual renewing of oneself in the Lord. God is responsible to redeem and to cleanse. But I want to preach to this church. The responsibility of a right spirit is up to me. The responsibility of a right spirit, it's up to me. If keeping my spirit right was just only a matter of prayer, then I would never leave the prayer room and still fight flesh and Jealousy and envy and strife and malice and on and on and on. It's a continual work that I've got to work on continually. I want to tell you that I'm responsible for my spirit being right. I'm responsible for my spirit being right. I'm responsible for my spirit being right. If you need direction... Please see a spiritual elder such as this wonderful man of God. If you need explanation of this word, I know of nobody better than this man right here. If you need some understanding of doctrine, then please go see this man. You ministry potential people, if you are seeking ministry, please go see this man. But let me say this, I can have my doctrine right and my spirit wrong. I can have my giftings right and I can have my spirit wrong. Hallelujah. I believe in separation. I believe in holiness. I believe we must be separate from the world. But I've learned that I can have my separation right and my spirit wrong. Responsibility of a right spirit. It's not up to him. 
up to me. The responsibility of a right spirit. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. I can read the emotion of David. He watched it firsthand. His father-in-law, his hero, his king, his best friend's father. He watched it firsthand. His hero turned into an enemy. He watched the envy creep in. He watched the malice. It went from his hero loaning him armor to throwing spears at him. What are you going to do when that happens? Why does David and write with such passion? Because if David... David doesn't keep his spirit right. Then he could end up like the mighty Sequoia. He may look like a king. He may have on kingly garments. He, he may be mighty and strong on the inside. But if David allows an infection to begin, if he allows the process of decay to happen on the inside, let me preach to this church today. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And like I said at the introductory remarks, we're living in the last days and hell knows our very weakness. And if hell can get me to get bitter or if he can get me to get sideways, he can get me to get upset with the church or with my spouse or with my pastor or with I am here to say the responsibility of you keeping your spirit right is up to you. How is it possible? How does a mighty man or a mighty woman or a person of God who has been used to impact people, how, how is it possible that they could become bitter and their spirit turn sour? How is it possible it's just because it was never renewed. The heart can be cleansed without the spirit being renewed. A contaminated spirit, listen, is a self-inflicted wound that only an altar can alter. I told you I'm preaching to myself. I, I've got to keep myself on the altar because it's on the altar I realize my inadequacies. I realize my failures. I realize there's too much of me when I'm on the altar. That's why Paul said I've got to die every day because there's too much of me. There's a difference in forgiveness and wholeness. God will forgive. Thank God for that. I go to him all the time. Lord, I need you to forgive this and I need you to forgive that. And, and we need to continually do that. Paul said do it every day. Amen. But there is a difference in forgiveness and wholeness. I want to look at these two different men, David and Saul. Both men were chosen by God. Now, we understand the people wanted a king, but God said, okay, you want one, I'm going to give you one. 
So God chose Saul. God chose David. Both men were anointed by God. Both men were placed into authority by God. But let me just read to you what God felt about it. Acts 13 and 22. I have found David, the son of Jesse, the murderer of Uriah, the adulterous man, the man that was there. No, no, he says, I'll find him to be a man after mine own heart. <clears throat> and he's going to fulfill all my will. 1 Samuel 15, the Bible says, it repenteth me. 1 Samuel 15 and 11. God, how do you feel about Saul? Repenteth me. God was sorrowful that I have set up Saul to be king because he has turned his back from following me. Both were chosen, will you agree? But one ended up in covenant with God and one ended up causing God sorrow and regret. What's the difference? Here it is. Renew in me a right spirit. It's not a matter of being free from failure. Nobody in the room is free from failure. <clears throat> the devil is such a liar. He'll jump on your shoulder and say, you're such a failure. You did this, you did this, you did this, and you're the only one that's doing it. Let me give you a news flash. Nobody in the room is perfect. Starting with me, nobody in the room is perfect. Get over it. It's not a matter of being free from failure. In our eyes, murder and adultery are king-ending, ministry-ending problems. So we're not talking about forgiveness here. We're talking about keeping our spirit right. Hey, Saul, don't justify your better spirit because your sin wasn't as consequential as David's. Let me show you another thing that kind of pokes out at me. Both men were confronted by the man of God in their lives. This to me is a very telling flag. So both men, Saul and David, we're going to draw comparisons. They were both confronted. Saul gets angry and he tears at the cloak of Samuel. But David falls on his face and he repents. <clears throat> Let me tell this wonderful church something. Your reaction to the man of God is paramount. Your reaction to the man of God is paramount to the condition of your spirit. It's very telling. All of us need a prophet to point a finger in our face and say, you're the man. All of us need a Samuel. And all of us need a Nathan to come and say, hey, I've got some issues with you. 
Saul was angry because Samuel refused to join him in a public act of worship, which would have signified to the people that all was well. Saul was angry because Samuel refused that. When your image becomes more important than your integrity, then your spirit is in trouble. When the finger of God is in my face and saying, you are the man, what's my reaction? Let me just say this, only those that are submitted to God can endure the inspection of God. Only those that are submitted to God can endure the inspection of God. But when I've got something to hide, I don't want to be inspected. When I don't want mom and dad to come into my room. When I don't need the Holy Ghost tromping around in my business that I've put on a front. Only those that are submitted to God. And David said, no, my thoughts, as if God does not already. But there's something about knowing God has access, but yet giving Him access. We all know God has access, but there's a difference in us giving Him. I want to leave this service today saying, God, search my heart. Justifiable or not is irrelevant. I want to give God access to my spirit. I want to give God access to my heart. Search me. I cannot have a right spirit without giving spiritual authority access to my spirit. God cannot trust what he cannot inspect. God cannot trust what he cannot inspect. Let me just say this, God will not use what he cannot trust. To whom much is given, much really is required. Oh boy, if I had the ability to memorize like Pastor Harry or preach like Pastor, if I had that, hey, too much is given, much is required. Don't ever look at somebody and say, oh, if I had that anointing. Let me tell you the cost of an anointed man. Nothing comes free. Nothing comes easy. To whom much is given, much is required. Search me, God. Search me, God. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Here's what I tell young preachers everywhere I go. I don't really care about your gifting. How's your spirit? I've never seen a more gifted generation. My 17-year-old son is preaching today at our church. And I don't brag on him in front of them. But I tell you what, I've never seen a more gifted generation than this generation. They, they're, they're just, they're, they, they've got giftings and they're, they've got it together. But I tell young preachers all the time, hey, I don't care about your giftings. How's your spirit? 
Hey, saint of God. Hey, woman of God. Hey, man of God. I don't really care much today about your talent. I'm here today to ask you about your spirit. Sometimes as the people and the children of God, we get intoxicated on our forgiveness and we forget about our spiritual health. Oh, search me, God. Search me, God. Your anointing does not validate a right spirit. Your anointing does not validate a right spirit. Don't confuse calling with consecration. Don't confuse calling with crosses. And we all have them to bear. The difference between an anointed man of God and a gifted man of God is one's willing to be purged. One's willing to be rebuked. One's willing to be corrected, chastised, crucified. If I cannot be purged, I cannot be used. Take up your cross and follow me. My cross better be close by. Hey, here's a message for you. Where's your cross? Where did you put it last? I lose my keys all the time. I hope I never lose my cross. I hope it's there in front of me continually because I need it. The only way I can keep my spirit right is to stay close to the cross. Altars, I want to talk about altars and then we're going to open this one up if that's okay. It's, it's not a coincidence that God told David, the man in whom I preach, he told David, the man after God's own heart, he told him, I'm not going to let you build the temple, but I'm going to let your son, Solomon. Now this, this strikes me as a human being and a person in ministry. I, I'm, 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 I'm amazed at this story because he said, I'm not going to let you build it, but your son Solomon. You mean the guy who is the offspring of David and Bathsheba? Yeah, him. I'm the man after your own heart, but you're going to. Let Solomon build the temple. Yeah. That's who's going to be the builder of my house. I want to tell you something about the difference between. I don't have time to get into all this. But the difference between the tabernacle and the temple is a pretty significant study. Everything that we teach and believe as end time apostolics can be traced to the tabernacle. First thing you saw was the altar. There's blood shed there on the altar. There's forgiveness. There's repentance there on the altar. And then you've got the laver. You've got the baptismal waters that washes that blood away. And then you go into the holy place. And in that holy place are several things. But then beyond the veil is the holiest of holies. It is an exact replica of what we do after Pentecost. The difference between the tabernacle and the temple are pretty similar. And there's not many differences except for this. The, the altar that Solomon built, listen now, was 54 times larger. The altar was 54 times larger. If anybody understood the value of an altar. 
who would be the offspring of David and Bathsheba. Your altar better be bigger than your heart. Your altar better be bigger than your giftings, your callings, your you fill in the blank, your this and that. I can never get beyond the size of my altar. I can never outgrow the size of my altar. Let me tell you this as the musicians come, I, I can get to the altar without going to the holy place. But I cannot get to the holy place without going to the altar. If I get this wrong, if I bypass this, you know, David said this, and I mentioned it earlier, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Do you realize that possibly the retention of David's anointing was completely contingent upon the fact that he renewed his spirit? Jesus told us offenses would come, stand with me. And yet we are so shocked when they do. Jesus taught us Offenses are going to come, but when they do, we get offended. Everybody in the room has been done wrong. Something we all have in common. We've all been done wrong. The difference is what am I going to do about it? The difference is what am I going to do with a, an offense that's been lying dormant? My heart's door. David, what are you going to do when your hero throws a javelin at you? Saul, what are you going to do when your protege becomes more popular? Back to the question that I started with, how do the mighty fall? I'll tell you how. It's a wound. It's a contamination. It's, it's an abuse. It's a contrite spirit. God forgives and God cleanses. How's your spirit? Palmer Pentecostal, I feel I'm here today to ask somebody, how is your spirit? Stop holding somebody else and God responsible for only what you can correct. Stop holding somebody else responsible. For what only you can correct as your spirit. David, if you don't get this right, there's so much that weighs in the balance. Sir, man, ma'am, do you realize what's at stake? If David goes down, Jesus cannot say he's the son of David. Everything kingdom related relies upon the fact that David gets this right. I'm asking somebody in this building today to bring your spirit to the altar. And renew it today. 
Your offense can be possibly justifiable. That's not what I'm preaching about. I'm talking about what are you going to do with it. Search my heart. I give you access to my heart, God. I give you access to every hidden area of my life. Those things that I've tucked away, Lord, that I've not let anybody else have access to. Those spirits of unforgiveness, those spirits of malice and jealousy and envy. God, I give you access today. Let you and I together, Lord, walk through those safety hidden areas of my life. I give you access this morning. Husband and wife, I ask you to come to this altar today. Father and mother, I ask you to come to this altar. Young person, I ask you come to this altar. If you're a guest, I ask you to come to this altar today. If you're a visitor, I ask you to come today. Oh, search me today, God. Come on, today could be the difference in the rest of eternity for somebody. Today could be the difference in the rest of your life today. I've got to get this right. I've got to get my spirit renewed. I've got to get this right. Search me, God. Search me, Holy Ghost. Come on, let the Holy Ghost do what the Holy Ghost does. Uh, Come on, don't play this off. I know the conviction will leave in just a few minutes, but don't take that risk right now. Don't take that risk right now. Saint of God, I'm asking you to find a place to pray. Find a place to talk to the Lord. Search, O Lord.